the metaverse. It's sparked the imagination of sci-fi writers for decades, but it's perhaps never been more hotly discussed than it is today. So if you're curious about what it all means, stay tuned. You're listening to episode 56 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman London. I'm your host, Olivia Thomas, and today I'm joined by Edelman's Chief Operating Officer, Justin Westcott, as well as Benedict Evans, who is an independent analyst with more than 20 years of experience analysing mobile, media and technology. So, the metaverse. It seems to be the word on everyone's lips at the moment. We have a whole host of companies throwing their hats into the ring with Facebook rebranding as Meta and even Barbados opening an embassy there. So let's start perhaps with you, Benedict. First of all, thank you so much for coming on the show, both of you. It's great to have you. Um, what is the metaverse? Most of us imagine it as us plugging into VR headsets and submerging ourselves into this virtual paradise. But what is the actual reality? Well, so I think the best way to visualize this is to go back to the early 90s when people started thinking well these computer things look like they might be universal it looks like everyone might do this and they might all be connected up with a network and what would that mean and you get a whiteboard and you write lots of words on the wall like you know um multimedia and convergence and broadband and fiber optics and interactivity and a whole bunch of other things. And you draw a box around all those words and you'd call it information superhighway. And you'd say, well, clearly this is going to be built by AT&T and British Telecom and Bertelsmann and Disney and um, Viacom. And in the end, of course, we did get the internet, um, but we didn't get it the way that anybody was expecting like then. And the, the kind of the term information superhighway didn't really capture what happened. And the same thing now, people get a whiteboard and they think, well, what are all the kind of consumer um, device things and all the kind of the cool consumer service things that might happen in the next decade? And you write them all on a whiteboard and you draw a box around it and you call it metaverse. And sort of the anchor of that is a sense that VR and and or AR, whatever they end up being, will become universal devices. They will become the next universal device after the smartphone. So in some way, you'll have a device that can put you in a 3D world or put 3D things into the world around you as you walk down the street or something. And that will all be connected to a network of some kind. And what would that be? And then people brainstorm. And so today, this is just sort of a mood board for everything that might happen, loosely connected with VR. Okay, so you obviously you've mentioned VR, sort of holographic technology, um, AR, some of this does already exist today, right? So why aren't we all living in the metaverse already? What sort of technological leaps need to happen before this can go from being on that whiteboard to being in real life? Well, holographic technology doesn't exist at all. Um, So this is purely about AR and VR. Um, 
And, you know, again, this is like looking at computers in the early 90s and saying, well, what would need to happen for everybody to have the, have all of these? And, you know, there's a big difference between technology notionally existing and it being mature and light and cheap and universal and easy to use and working out what people might want to do with it. Um, so we had a sort of a wave of enthusiasm about VR in the early 90s. And then we realized that the computing technology just wasn't up to it at the time. And then sort of eight to 10 years ago, people realized that basically graphics chips plus smartphone chips plus smartphone screens meant that you could probably make an AR headset that a normal person might want to buy. Um, and here we are sort of eight or nine years later and you have the Oculus Quest 2. It's a great consumer product. You know, it's not a beta. It's not a prototype. It works. Um, but we've yet to work out what you would do with it that isn't a game. And we've yet to work out how many people would actually want that. Um, so this is a little bit like, you know, to give another example from the past, it's a little bit like, like looking at games consoles and say, well, yes, this is amazing, but how many people want that? And it turns out actually not very many. Um, there's maybe 200 million people have a games console on Earth, which is, you know, it's not it's not nothing, but it's not a lot compared to 5 billion smartphones. It's not a universal device. And so we have to kind of work out, well, what would take us from an interesting niche device um, that millions of people or tens of millions of people use to something that billions of people would want to use? And we don't really know, um, but it's probably more than games. Yeah, I, I jump in there. Hi, Benedict. Um, I, I think what's also interesting is, is actually how quickly I think the hardware is, is improving. Um, I think if anyone today stuck up their, their head behind uh, an Oculus 2 headset, which I think retails at about £300, it, it, is, it is actually impressive. You know, the technology has radically improved, certainly in the last five years, and you know, halving in price. So I think, I think access... Um, to the hardware is is something that is potentially going to accelerate um, more application development and, and more people not necessarily living in the metaverse perhaps experiencing it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'd go back to my, my comparison with, with with games consoles because if you'd seen a PlayStation Five in two thousand in nineteen eighty, you would have said, "Oh my god, this is amazing! This is this is this is incredible!" Um, it turns out that's one hundred million people. And so the challenge with VR is the hardware can get better. The question is, well, yes, but what does that get you? Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned as well sort of the the consumer need almost, like do people want this? How do we get people to want the metaverse? Um, Justin, perhaps a question for you. The, the concept of the metaverse, I don't think is necessarily entirely new, right? Um, it's been imagined before on screen and in science fiction novels. And these are often quite dystopian visions of the future. So do you think people are naturally inclined to be distrustful of the metaverse? Um, do you think people are afraid of it? And indeed, are they right to be afraid? Uh, look, I, I think um, humanity has always been um, scared or afraid of new things. Um, yeah, you know, people were scared, scared of the bike when it was invented. People were scared of the, the car when it was invented. You know, having people need to walk in front of it with red flags. I think anything that's different is scary. Um, what I would say is obviously you know, technology over the last sort of 10 to 20 years hasn't had perhaps great success as ensuring things are safe and ensuring there aren't perhaps unintended consequences to the uses. Um, I hope the industry has perhaps learned from those uh, and is, is now sort of spending time ensuring that anything they create is going to be you know, safe and, and easy to access. 
Um, no, I, personally, I think it's exciting, but yeah, I'm, I'm an early adopter, so um, it, it's the kind of thing that I get 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 excited about. Um, and at the same time, I look at my you know, three young children um, who probably, if they could, would spend every waking hour on Roblox. Um, you know, they, in essence, are already experiencing what I think is you know, early signs of what perhaps a metaverse experience will look like in the years to come. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. Um, this is them playing with friends. This is them learning about the world in a really interesting way. Um, and, you know, I think about what they're experiencing now back to my childhood, you know, where my first experience of kind of computing at home was on the Sinclair Spectrum 48K, where I was getting excited about games like Horace Goes Skiing. Um, you know, that was extremely low res and we come to today and it's, and it's pervasive. You know, back then I would never have thought um, that I, I myself would be spending so much time behind a screen, you know, typing and engaging with the world. Um, I think their future looks, you know, exciting, if I'm honest with you, um, but probably something that we need to continue to pay close attention to. I think there are lots of other repercussions potentially for, for the metaverse if it manifests itself as some believe. I think it's both interesting and concerning potentially for developing countries. You know, you know hardware is falling in price and connectivity is becoming more abundant. You know, what happens if skilled labor starts spending its time earning um, earning kind of online cryptocurrency for playing a game a bit like it has been experienced in the, in the Philippines. What does that have happen to uh, the taxation uh, system in the, in the local market? I think there are a lot of big questions to be wrestled to the ground with still around the metaverse. And Benedict, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the crypto and metaverse are completely separate and unrelated questions. Um, you know, NFTs and Web3 have absolutely nothing to do with Metaverse. That's a completely different thing. Um, I mean, Metaverse is a device. Web3 slash crypto slash NFTs is a way of building software networks that if we're all using VR and AR, we might be using um, Web3 services in the Metaverse. Um, or we might be using the Metaverse and not using Web3 services, or we might be using Web3 services on our smartphones and the Metaverse might never happen. So there's a kind of, kind, of, kind of separate things. I think the challenge in all of these is, as we've sort of discovered with the internet in the last 10 years, is that when technology hits human nature, human nature tends to win. Um, and so all of the problems that society has... You know, when all of society is online, then all society's problems get expressed online, whether that's, you know, racist trolling or fraud or misinformation or anything else. All the problems that we already had get expressed and amplified in new and generally kind of unexpected ways. Um, I mean, I remember when um, Facebook was evil because it was too closed and it tried to too, too hard to make you use your real name. And then suddenly we, we, we wake up one morning and Facebook is evil because it's too open and doesn't try hard enough to make you use your real name. And so this stuff sort of develops in unexpected ways. Um, you know, the, the, the one constant is, is human nature, I think. So the question of who, who is in the metaverse and who isn't, is that but is that a pertinent question at this stage, do you think? Well, not really, no. I mean, it's sort of like saying, well, who, who will, we're going to have, I mean, I, I, I mean the, the best way to think about this is, is to compare it with smartphones. So if we had said, well, who will get to be on the mobile internet? You know, some people won't get to use the mobile internet. Well, no, everyone will use the mobile internet. I mean, yes, you'll have to buy a smartphone. Um, in fact, smartphones are much cheaper than PCs. So this is just another evolution of the internet. And so, um, 
and it's one that doesn't really exist yet and will slowly evolve over the next five or ten years another aspect to the internet that will sort of slowly evolve over the next five or ten years so um you know there are sort of questions of well how does content work if we're in 3d um how does questions of sort of screen time work if you're wearing a device all the time who controls like what that device might show you or suggest to you and if you're wearing a pair of glasses all day that remember what you've seen and so you can say i met somebody last week who said he worked for disney what was his name um show me his face you know that raises kind of all sorts of interesting questions around you know privacy and inclusion and bias um and around what a media company is kind of in the way that the internet did um the challenge is we don't really know we don't even know what half of those questions will be no, I mean, I think all, all I'd say is, you know, the internet is the good, is the, is the obviously the right analogy. Um, and, you know, there were and have been continued conversations around things like the digital divide and, and perhaps those that got to experience the internet sooner, both at country level, and individual level, maybe, maybe saw some benefit economically or to their education development. Um, it is, as Benedict said, too early to suggest the metaverse will be anything like that. Um, but potentially, if there are new economies that are created, new jobs that are created, you know, those that, are, that, that get to experience it first might, may, may potentially see some economic advantage. But this is, you know, complete speculation at this stage. With many brands claiming to have launched in the metaverse already, how can we separate fact from PR? That's going to be my next question. But first, let's take a look back at episode 55, where we discuss takeaways from this year's Web Summit. The metaverse is coming, that's for sure. But what it is, uh, no one can exactly agree on. Um, But it definitely created a lot of buzz. Mark Zuckerberg has been talking about this for a while, but... Um, because at Facebook Connect, he actually sort of showcased his vision for what the metaverse could be. Um, it got the industry and creatives and brands talking about the possibilities. Um, and there was a lot of excitement, as you would expect, from a show that attracts tech founders and innovators and people who are excited about the future. Um, so I think it's really cemented in the consciousness of the European tech industry that this is something that everyone can rally behind and get excited about. And I think when you sort of read about the metaverse on the discourse at the moment in sort of the media, it is spoken of as though it is already a thing, right? Like it's spoken of like, you know, this brand is launching in the metaverse, you know, do you think these companies are sort of being a bit presumptuous? Do you think they're, you know, is it almost a bit misleading that they're talking about, you know, the metaverse as if it's already happened, that it's here now? So there's certainly a sense of people putting out a press release and saying, what's the cool thing this year, metaverse? So we'll say this is metaverse. Um, and the joke was that this morning the New York Times bought a Wordle for like a million dollars. And the joke was the New York Times is building a commanding position in Metaverse. <laughs> it's a puzzle game. <laughs> and, um, 
yeah, you know, to say we've launched in Metaverse is a bit like saying we've launched in Second Life, um, except that Second Life at that at the time had kind of had more reality than Metaverse does. Um, and so, yes, this is pure sort of press release jumping on the latest buzzword um, today. And, you know, again, you say it's 2000, you say, well, we've, we've launched a website. We're, we're, the, we're the first fashion company to have a website. Well, okay, come back in 10 years and tell me what that means. Yeah, and, and having um, spent some time this year in Vegas at CES, it was sort of amusing to kind of walk the floor to see how many sort of disparate companies had sort of crowbarred into their taglines the word metaverse. Um, I think I saw a dishwasher company from China uh, that used the term metaverse in their branding. It, for me, it sort of shows that at the moment it's sort of, it is hype. Um, that obviously is gaining attention by media because it's new and it's exciting and, and, and drives column inches. Um, but as Benedict said, there is no place that is the metaverse right now. You can experience online permanent virtual worlds as you have done for many years. I would say World of Warcraft, potentially in current description, could be deemed a metaverse. Um, and as Benedict says, I, I you know, back in 2004, I was building islands on Second Life and selling them to companies like Adidas and Gap, um, who obviously were early um, on the metaverse, if you look at it back now. Um, but but um, yeah, that's where we are right now. I think we're just at the beginning of something that's interesting, um, that makes sense because there are lots of com you know, technologies that are sort of converging at an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, I think Second Life is also kind of interesting because, you know, there's a joke in the stock market, what's the difference between being early and being wrong? Nothing. And so very often things that become a big deal in technology had some sort of John the Baptist moment, you know, they had some sort of failed thing that everyone probably remembers and laughs. And so, you know, there were an awful lot of attempts at mobile internet before the iPhone. There were an awful lot of attempts at personal computers before they really worked. There were an awful lot of attempts, indeed, at the internet before before the web really worked. And so, you know, when you, one points at Second Life or indeed VR in the 90s, that doesn't mean it's not going to work now. You know, part of the point is it, it does work now because, you know, because of the advances of Morse or the advances of the technology. Um, I think, the, the, the but, but it isn't working yet. Um, and for it to become kind of a universal experience, um, that's, that's still somewhere away. I think all... And when people sort of first started using this phrase, really what they were attempting to capture was to say, well, right now, VR is this headset that you put on at home to play a game. And what if um, it was something that was light enough and transparent enough that somehow you could wear it all day? What if you had a pair of glasses that could place things into the world as you walk past them? or that could recognize things that you were seeing and tell you stuff about them. What would it mean to kind of disconnect software and the internet from this physical screen that you hold in your hand and instead place that so that it looks like it's in the world around you? What would that mean for pop culture or self-expression or retailing or media or advertising? Um, if you walk down the street and there's no signs until you put your glasses on and then the sign appears on the side of the bus, um, how would that work? What would that, how, what would that change? And half of that is very science fiction. Um, but we do kind of know how we might be able to build that now. And so that means people start sort of thinking about this and thinking about what you might call it and how it might work. Um, and it's not like there'll be a place that you can go 
it's rather it's like saying, well, what would happen if everybody had the internet on a device in their pocket? What would that mean? And the answer is it changed an awful lot. Um, that there isn't like a place that you can go to do the mobile internet. No, and, and look, my, I, I sort of think of this as, well, actually using one of your analogies, Benedict, from your reports around the tech industry be, being the speedboat, you know, always out front chasing the sort of the next thing, building tomorrow, but often tomorrow is, you know, it, it takes decades sometimes for economies and businesses and society to see the reverberations of those technologies. Um, and at the moment, there is a lot of money going in to these technology sets from, from large technology companies. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's always worth thinking about, you know, the, the, the famous, I think, Arthur C. Clarke, or Bill Gates line, yeah. actually. Bill Gates said that we, we, underestimate, we, we overestimate how fast technology will move in the short term and underestimate how fast it, how, what it will change in the long term. And so we're not all going to be using the metaverse in two years, but in 10 years' time, um, AR, cheap AR glasses will be ubiquitous, almost certainly. And so what does that mean? No, exactly. And, look, and, I, and I think some of the some of the signs of now are, are interesting. I go back to actually having my myself being surprised at just how good the experience is on the Oculus um, compared to what I tried two years previously. I think the, the technology is, is catching up. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work still to be done in in AR. You know, they've got to, I don't know if they will ever solve the field of view uh, issue, but that's that's one of the big ones um, uh, to, still to be to, still to be done. But then it's interesting to see some of the brands that are trying things. Um, you know, I, I heard that Bagari, the luxury jewelry company, sold um, 30 necklaces in Fortnite uh, at £15,000 a pop. Uh, and they went within an hour. Uh, whether that's just ludicrous kind of bubble or whether it's interesting to see traditional um, brands experiment early um, to see that there is actually a market for me. Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of if one goes to a very high level here, the sort of fundamental transition is that computing used to be sort of interesting and exciting, but very small, and most people weren't doing it. It was, you know, and people would say, I'm not computer literate, and shrug. Whereas what's happened in the last sort of 10 or 15 years is that this has become absolutely universal and a basic part of pop culture, a basic part of everybody's life. And so whether it's VR or AR or just smartphones, um, kind of a big part of the direction of travel is the expansion of every part of kind of media and entertainment and popular culture into digital, whether that's metaverse or AR or NFTs or something else. Um, but, you know, the idea of, you know, Bulgari selling anything on the internet 10 years ago would have been almost unimaginable. Now <laughs> it's sort of perfectly natural and normal that they see this as part of the way that they they talk to their customer because, you know, the Balenciaga customer is online with a smartphone now and willing to buy digital goods in some way and thinking about self-expression in a digital form in some way. And... You know that may or may not be NFTs. It may or may not be metaverse. But it, but that point of self-expression that I don't that I think is beyond question. Well, as you said, it's 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 human, isn't it? Yeah, it's you know, humanity moving online and being human. They want to collect things. It, it is. It's, it's human nature, but it's but it's and all of humanity is online now and now sees the internet as part of that a part of its life. So when we see things like, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, I saw that Miller Lite, which is like a beer brand, um, got an advertising, they couldn't get an advertising spot during the Super Bowl. So they decided to launch an ad on a, in a virtual bar 
in the quote-unquote metaverse um, instead. It, well, you know, is, are we going to be seeing a lot more of that? Is this just a temporary hype around, you know, these sort of activations in the metaverse? Or is this now the future of advertising? Is this direction the direction that it's going to be going in? Well, again, like this, I don't know where they did that because there is no place called the metaverse. Um, I believe you know, it was like, in Decentraland, yeah, um, but they call, it, they call it the metaverse. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like saying we opened it. We couldn't get it. We couldn't get an ad in today. That's like saying we didn't get it. We didn't want to buy a Super Bowl ad, so we we did a, a we we made a website. We didn't get a Super Bowl ad, or um, we did a, an island in Second Life. Now, in ten years' time, it won't be that. Uh, today, it's still purely, you know, the experimental budget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Justin, any final thoughts um, from you on sort of brands taking on the, again, quote unquote, metaverse? <laughs> well, Benny said it, I think it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a new and evolving form of media. Um, you know, continue to pay attention to kind of where eyeballs are and how much, you know, how, how big this market is growing and whether key customers are actually spending any time in there is potentially to do novel and interesting things. So uh, as Benedict said, it's sort of experiment budget uh, at the moment. Uh, I definitely don't think there should be a rush. Um, I don't think anyone will be late on the metaverse um, as it is such a broad concept that's taking time to evolve. It, it really is just about paying attention to how existing technologies are evolving through various you know, hype cycles. Well, it's exciting. No, I, no, I generally think it's an exciting, it is, it is exciting. Um, if, if I'm honest with you, you know, if I, if I transport myself back 40 years ago as a young boy and, and said that, you know, one could spend time in a virtual experience, um, I had my, you know, took my put VR goggles on my, my five-year-old and gave him a tour of the pyramids, you know, that's, a, that, that is profound and will have a huge impact on, you know, things like education and travel. I can imagine in a not too distant future holding meeting in in the meta in the metaverse, whatever that is, but probably on an application that enables you to have a VR meeting, of which there are some that that exist. Um, so I, no, I, it's just really interesting. Lots of um, technologies accelerating, creating new use cases. It's definitely a super exciting time. Um, so. Thank you both so much for your time today. I think that's about all we have time for. Um, and thank you for listening to Sideload. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, please send an email across to sideload at edelman.com. Um, but thank you both for joining us and we'll see you next time. <laughs>